This is Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm Dr. Celine Galgich, and I'm a clinical psychologist who works extensively with OCD. And I'm Dr. Victoria Miller, but you can call me Tori. And I'm a clinical psychologist who works with young people, including those with OCD. Through our shared professional experience, we've found that effective treatment of OCD requires commitment, creativity, and the recognition that things can sometimes get a little messy. They sure can. We want to empower clinicians to be able to work with their patients in new ways to treat OCD with confidence. On today's show, we are chatting with our very own Hannah Gersh, who is an early career psychologist and clinical registrar here at Melbourne Wellbeing Group. When chatting with early career psychologists and psychologists starting out in this area, we often hear about how nerve-wracking it can be. We hope that today's episode, as well as this podcast show, can help put some of those nerves at ease. Today, you'll hear us talking to Hannah about how she found her way into treating individuals with OCD, how she dealt with nerves and feelings of inadequacy, and what she's found most useful for her development. Hannah also gives some really great advice to clinicians looking to stretch themselves into this fantastic space of work. Let's get started. Hello. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Hi, Hannah. Tori is also with us. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case you're wondering. (laughs) Yeah, I love this topic. I love um, this idea about thinking about what it's like to be stepping into this space because, Celine, as you and I talked about right from the outset, that one of the reasons we wanted to start this podcast was because we felt like people were intimidated, I don't know, by feeling like they didn't have enough experience, not enough knowledge. And I think our philosophy is that like any kind of treatment or demographic that you're working with a psychologist, that if you've got an interest, a curiosity, a willingness to learn, access to resources then you can step into most spaces and this is one of them. And Hannah, an opportunity to speak to you about what it's like being, what it's been like being an early career psychologist, learning about OCD and ERP, I think will be so valuable to people who are nervous about getting started, whether they be at the beginning of their career or not. I think it'll be extremely valuable. Yeah, I think so because regardless of where you're at in your career, when you're jumping into a new space of anything, it does feel very much like you're in that early phase of just learning. And, you know, no one likes the learning process because it feels uncomfortable and we want to just get to the end point and just do it already. (laughs) There's a bit of that as well. So I think most people will find this valuable. So thank you so much for joining us and sharing some of your insights. No, thank you so much. And I was just thinking as you were both reflecting on that, that I feel so privileged to be here talking about this and thinking about how I wish there was something like this when I was entering the psychology field and in particular working with OCD. So very happy to be here and to be sharing my experience to hopefully help others in that position. Should we start off with, do you want to tell us a little bit about what got you into psychology as a career and where you're currently at? Sure. I always laugh at this question because it was quite accidental. I remember back in high school, we had the opportunity to do electives and psychology was one of the electives on offer. And to be honest, I really didn't want to do it. (laughs) It didn't interest me. It actually made me 
feel a bit anxious to be, you know, I was already quite an anxious teenager and I thought I don't really want to be thinking about anxiety and things like that. To me, it felt a bit confronting. But as luck would have it, just with timetabling, it was between psychology and the other option was just an absolute no for me. So psychology it was. And I fell in love with it. I loved learning about psychology. I just had such a thirst to know and to learn more and more. And so I continued on and I did it in BCE in year 12. And, you know, when it came the time to choose my university degree, I still wasn't certain. So I started with arts law, so a double degree, just to explore my options, thinking that I'll do psychology through arts. I gave law a year and it it just wasn't for me. And again, it was just in a bit of a love affair with psychology. So I just continued with it through that pathway and went on to do honours and masters and applying to Melbourne Wellbeing Group after graduating my master's was my first job out of uni. So I'm still here in my third year since then. So and very happy to be. So it's been a wonderful pathway. Was there something about people with OCD and OCD as a concept that you were curious about or was it just that it was an opportunity that was offered to you? How did you kind of come to be in this space? Again, really accidental. I do remember in my master's course, I think there was maybe one or two lectures, which I think is so funny to think about in in an entire two-year course. There was one or two lectures dedicated to the whole kind of world of OCD. I remember really enjoying it, but I didn't really give it too much thought after that because there was just so much we learned about and I, I wasn't sure what pathway I wanted to head down. I remember applying for the job at Melbourne Wellbeing Group. I don't actually recall reading anything about OCD and it was more just um, I remember Celine in, in the job advertisement you wrote about the kind of collaborative approach and very kind of team focused and a lot um, offer in terms of uh, professional development and supervision and support and that really appealed to me so that's actually what led me to apply for the job more than working with OCD itself so again another accident but one I am incredibly grateful for because I feel like it was supposed to happen. And now that I work in this space, I can't imagine not. It's kind of infectious, isn't it? Mm, really is. I can relate to that in terms of I also fell into that space, into this space, I should say. And there's so much depth to it and there's so many layers to it and there's so many other co-occurring conditions at the same time that you're always challenged and you're always thinking and there's always so much to learn, irrespective of where you're at. Completely agree. In terms of that learning process and kind of your experience of learning more about OCD, what has that been like for you? To be completely honest, it did feel a bit daunting. Like you said at the beginning, I think there is this idea around particularly as an early career psychologist, worrying that you're not competent enough or qualified enough or you don't have enough experience in this space. And for me, I think that was quite nerve-wracking to feel like I haven't worked with this population before and, you know, I don't have the experience. I haven't had the most amount of training. Like I said, I think there was a lecture or two. But I'm so glad that that didn't deter me because 
you know, I did some professional development and some training in ERP and exposure and response prevention. I did some reading and I just started working. And I think like you said, Tori, just willingness to try and really being open to listening to the stories that your clients are sharing with you. And every person I saw, I feel like I learned more and more. And I also think something that's particularly appealing around working with OCD as an early career psych is that the treatment ERP is quite manualized in a sense of you do learn, you know, steps to the treatment, you know, there's kind of a nice flow to, you know, providing psychoeducation, building an exposure hierarchy, teaching distress tolerance, like all of these things, it kind of has a nice flow and you can kind of break it down session by session, which I think is something really comforting earlier on in your career. It contains a lot of that anxiousness, doesn't it? It feels nice to go into a session with a plan. Absolutely. (laughs) And I think like the more that you work and the more you develop, the kind of the less you rely on that and the more kind of flexibility you can bring into your sessions. But certainly early on, that was very much a comfort. Can we get a bit more specific about what training you have done? I mean, what does it practically look like? You said that you read a bit, you did some training, but what does that actually look like? What could um, people who haven't stepped into this space, like how do we bring that to life for them and help them imagine what it looks like? Lucky for me, my supervisor in this space was one of the leading OCD clinicians <laughs> in, in Australia. So the first step for me, I remember, um, was doing Celine's intro to treating OCD professional development, which I think was squished into two days which was incredibly helpful and that was recorded. So I remember I could go through at my own pace. So any early career psychologist could go through that. I remember reading Jonathan Grayson's book. Freedom from OCD. Freedom from OCD. It was the first one I read too. Yes. Yeah. Really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. Celine actually lent that to me and then I ended up purchasing it myself because I thought probably need this in my library. Yeah. And supervision. Supervision was probably the most helpful tool because the PD was really helpful in, like you were saying, Tori, kind of containing my anxiety, giving me a bit of a session plan, but then being able to kind of unpack the uniqueness of each client and each presentation in supervision. I think that's really what developed my learning even further and and that's still ongoing today and into the future. Yeah. And I think what I'm also hearing you say is that you were learning as you were going, that you took the plunge even though you didn't know it all yet. I'm guessing that you probably hadn't yet reached a space where you felt really experienced or knowledgeable, but you just were willing. And so knowing that you had the support of supervision, you had the foundations, you understood the concepts, you just got in there and got going. Because what you did have was also what is fundamental to good therapy, which is all of the fundamental psychology skills around providing a safe therapeutic space, the capacity to build a a safe relationship with your client, to show unconditional regard, your good assessment and diagnostic skills. So all of those are things that, you know, you already have. The ERP is just kind of the framework that you use. So it's not all new. You did have a really good portion of what was already required. That's so true. And I honestly think that that's probably what got me through (laughs) because, 
you know, I was holding on to that, like that statistic, 80% of outcomes is down to the, <laughs> yeah. the relationship. About the relationship. And, mm. Yeah. And that's really what got me through. And like you said, the ERP is a tool or a framework, but a lot of the work is in creating that kind of that relationship and that trust and understanding where that person's coming from. And yeah, I think that's really what got me through. You can be the most skilled clinician, but if you don't have that rapport and that trust with your client, it doesn't matter how yeah. good you are at ERP, it won't work. Yeah. If there's not a trusting relationship, if your client doesn't feel respected, what's the point? Like it's not going to work. Particularly with ERP where what we're asking our clients to do is quite confronting and scary in terms of exposure work. Yeah. With any intervention, I think trust and rapport is really important, but almost even more so when it comes to ERP. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And it can take time to develop that too. Like a lot of more experienced clinicians that talk about feeling stuck with their clients. It's really that stuckness can sometimes come from just trying to build trust as well. Mm. And clients just holding their treatment where it's at because they're still trying to build their Mm. own sense of trust and safety before they Mm. take that leap. I would add, you know, that Celine and I are still learning. We're still reading. We're still reviewing concepts. We're still adapting the way that we work. It's a forever process. Yeah, we have our own supervisors that we work with. And I think you guys sharing that, I know Celine's definitely shared that with me in supervision before, is so validating and so reassuring as an early career psychologist that that's a really normal experience and that it probably won't go away and that, you know, we don't have to be experts in everything that we're doing and that there's always opportunity to learn more and grow and develop. Yeah. And rightly so. We get taught a lot about boundaries and about the importance of staying within our scope of knowledge, which I think is a really important boundary to respect. And also the philosophy around around not doing harm. And I know that clinicians can often worry about doing harm to their clients if they don't know what they're doing. And we know that in the OCD space, one of the concerns that we have is when someone can't discern between egodystonic and egosyntonic thoughts and then clients who have OCD end up being reported, having a forensic assessment, being referred to clients to child protection services, which is pretty devastating if a clinician is getting that wrong. But I think that learning those concepts, that's not advanced work with OCD. That is actually, that is pretty foundational work. And so I think that in terms of working safely. It's not about needing to have lots. I mean, how do you get started in any space if what is required is loads and loads and loads of learning or experience? It would be impossible to ever get started if that was the benchmark. But I think the things that keep our clients safe and that mean that you have enough knowledge to be safely extending your scope of practice actually contained within really foundational learning, which comes with reading some books, reviewing some websites, listening to some podcasts, doing some intro to OCD or an ERP training. What was it like for you, Hannah? Like, did it feel safe for you? Did you have any of those concerns about whether or nervousness about stepping into this work? It's a really interesting question. I don't think I felt more nervous about OCD compared to other presentations. I was lucky to feel well supported by my supervisor, by working in an OCD specialised clinic Mm -hmm. to be able to ask any questions that come up that might be OCD related. 
And I felt like I had a really good foundation in the training to distinguish between egosyntonic and egodystonic thoughts, to not be scaring clients off by showing genuine concern when they're sharing an intrusive thought or something like that. There's fundamentals that I think are really important to learn, but at the same time, we can't be expected to be experts in something that we merely haven't haven't had enough experience to develop. So look, I think as an early career psych, things like risk are really scary and just really seeing any client feels really scary, I think, because it's, <laughs> yeah, all, it's all it's new. It's a good so point. I think, yeah, I, just think, I remember feeling overwhelmed by, you know, just generally. around. Whoever's going to walk through the door, there wasn't a particular worry about OCD, but there was, there was concern for, you know, there was worry about, will I do a good job? Will I help this person? I don't want to make them feel worse, you yeah. know, all of those of things, which I think, you know, I talk to friends that I've gone through university with and other people kind of at my stage in, in the field. And I think it's really normal. Oh, yeah. We were talking recently with the founders of So OCD website, Penny and Rosie, and they were talking about for people who in early career, that what for them as consumers of services, so individuals with OCD, they were saying that they want to feel contained by their psychologist. They want their psychologist to fake it (laughs) and not be disingenuous. Like it's okay. They were saying, you know, it's okay to not know and to share that, but you need to contain your anxious shit because if you're sitting there spinning out, what am I supposed to do with that? (laughs) That's right. That's so true. And to just convey confidence and a sense of calm and yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, freak out with your supervisor, not with not with your clients. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yes. Which is, I, I think, yeah, I think that's something that you learn pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> we want to ask you about particular challenges as well, Hannah, but before we do, I mean, you're right. You work in a practice where everyone is working with OCD, you know, Celine's at the helm as director, lunchroom chats, supervision, resources are plenty. But I suppose I'm curious about what you would recommend to other early career psychs who don't work in a clinic that has a special interest in OCD that does have a more general interest where they may not have immediate colleagues or supervisors with specific OCD knowledge. What do you think would be helpful in those spaces? What would you recommend? Look, I don't think it's necessary to work in an OCD specialised clinic. I think that it's beneficial. What I do think would be helpful is external supervision. If you do have a supervisor who's not experienced in particular with OCD, if it's possible to seek external supervision or engage with kind of peer supervision or group supervision in the OCD space. I think what kind of leads into that is there are a lot of closed Facebook groups for OCD that's Australian based. But there's also a massive one that's American-based, but there's people yes. from all over the world in that one. I think there's like a good couple of thousand clinicians in that one. Yeah, I'm in that one and it's it's so active. <laughs> in those sorts of spaces, you can find or just put a call out for people that are in your area, in your state or yeah. in your country and ask if people want to put together a group. And there are a few people that have done that and meet on a regular-ish kind of basis and do peer supervision or 
have a supervisor who will then oversee group supervision. Yeah. Um, so if that's something you want to get going, you absolutely can using those. I think using those spaces is a great way to do it. I also notice on that group, some people sharing obviously de-identified information about a certain case that they're stuck on and they might call out for someone who's kind of experienced in that area or had a similar client and might kind of provide case consultation and there's so much activity and so much engagement in that group so you're very likely to find multiple people who are willing to share their experience. On top of that I would also encourage just further professional development in the space I think you know, we come out of university with so many skills already, but ERP is kind of a unique intervention. In some ways, there's a lot of overlap from other interventions, but in some ways it's quite unique. So doing the professional development, doing the training in ERP in particular, I think would be really helpful. The International OCD Foundation also has a lot of professional development with different levels of ERP that they teach that might be worthwhile checking out as well. When I first started learning, really like really trying to deep dive into ERP, I found Instagram really useful because even though it can't be your primary source of professional development because it's not complex enough, but the little tidbits, the way that it reinforces concepts, the way that it just brings ideas to life or takes your mind to new places that you hadn't considered before. And there are a lot of clinicians who work with OCD or people with OCD who run really fabulous accounts that you can follow along. Like it's really extensive and a really enjoyable space to use. Yes, completely agree. The best recommendations I've gotten for OCD Instagram pages are from my clients. They're always ah. how I find the best ones. I'll always share yeah, pages that they're following and I'll always check just to make sure the information that they're consuming. But there's some, yeah, really fantastic ones out there. So are there any pitfalls to avoid? It's like what kinds of things would you be like, oh, no, I tried this and I don't go down this pathway? I think the biggest one would be not using supervision not using supervision at all or not using supervision appropriately. So not sharing with your supervisor when you're getting stuck or when you're not sure where to go because you're worried you've done the wrong thing or because you're, you know, like you're worried about them judging you or like whatever it might be. I think particularly as an early career psych, I think there's a lot of nervousness around treatment and the work that you're doing. And I think, yeah, a a kind of a trap that you could fall into is kind of keeping that to yourself and not kind of processing it in supervision because I think for me that's been the most valuable tool. Another trap, Tori, I think you made a joke but it really reminded me, is not getting into kind of fix-it mode with your clients and not not providing an excessive amount of reassurance, which I think is kind of natural and intuitive particularly as early career sites, but I'm sure that you guys experience that as well, that kind of urge to reassure or to fix it or give a solution when it's kind of to get rid of, yeah, which is really kind of the opposite of ERP, isn't it? It is a heartbreaking process when you think about it from a treatment perspective as a clinician because intuitively we're taught to make people feel better and to alleviate symptoms and to reduce symptom severity. Really, if we look at all the self-report measures and all the rest of it, what we're aiming for is reduction of symptom severity. And I think we can easily get caught up in, especially in the OCD 
field, and Tori, you were talking about this this morning when we were having a chat, was this idea of getting caught up in the idea that we have to get rid of thoughts, Mm. that thoughts are a symptom, but really the symptom is the compulsion, it's the behaviour, and that we can control and we can reduce, but we can't control what pops into our head. And I think Mm. the grief that clients experience around that idea of needing to make room for thoughts, irrespective of how uncomfortable they feel and the fact that we can't actually get rid of them, is the hardest part and it's really heartbreaking to see and that's the part that we can't get rid of or fix or make people feel better about we just have to be comfortably uncomfortable with it yes I think it's also about thinking about the short term versus the long term because short term you know trying to solve OCD trying to give reassurance or get rid of thoughts perhaps might give some relief, but you're doing that person a disservice because longer term it's just kind of reinforcing and making OCD even louder and stronger. So I think it's keeping that in mind. And like you said, Celine, that that's an uncomfortable process. And I think it's a learning process to learn to tolerate and sit with that as a clinician. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It doesn't get easy. It just gets easier. I think what gets easier about it is when you start to see that it actually does really help in the long term and you start to really believe it. And so you can sit with the short term discomfort because you know that it's going to benefit them in the long term. Yeah, agreed. And we're asking our clients for blind faith because we're like, mm. are we bringing in that knowledge in terms of not seeing our clients, other clients go through it and we're like, we know that this is the process, but they need to trust it as well. And that's where we ask our clients for blind faith when we're imparting Mm. that knowledge. Another pitfall, it's something that I know that you guys have discussed a bit on the podcast, but where I've gotten a bit stuck with clients is just treating compulsions through exposure and not addressing kind of the underlying function of OCD. So often what I found kind of early on is we'd kind of establish an exposure hierarchy work through all the kind of exposures and OCD or symptoms would improve, but then the intrusive thoughts kind of latch onto something else. That's because we haven't kind of actually targeted the function of OCD and actually spoken about things like acceptance of uncertainty and learning to tolerate discomfort and all of those things that I've kind of now developed through experience and just, and time. There's a lot to learn, so I think it takes time. That's a really good one that you've picked up on there, what you were saying earlier, Celine, about the layers and the depth and how interesting, you know, it can be. And you know what? You don't necessarily have to know that, but I think, as you said, Hannah, that idea about, you know, listening to your clients' stories, hearing what they're telling you, be on the journey with them, be with them in the moment. If you can be in that space and not too rigidly sort of like stuck to the menu with your head just in the pages, but you're actually taking from the pages, bringing it into the room, being in the moment with your client, you'll spot that stuff. You'll see the stuckness. You'll notice what's working and what's not. And then you can ask those questions, take them to supervision, do some extra reading. And the knowledge and the learning will just flow. It really will. I think if you can marry those two things together, you're golden. And that's where it starts to become fun almost. And, you know, like when we said, like we, you know, now that we've started working with OCD, we can't stop because that's where the interest comes and that's where 
you know, no two presentations are the same and it's really interesting. Is there something you know now, Hannah, that you wish you'd known earlier? I wish that I was less harsh on myself as an early career psych and less kind of, I wish that I put less pressure on myself to know it all straight away. I noticed upon reflection that a lot of my kind of earlier sessions at the beginning with clients, there was this sense of urgency on my behalf of kind of moving through things fast and kind of wanting them to get better really quickly and, you know, not having patience within myself that the work takes time and that I don't need to fix it and it's not all on me and that we're working collaboratively and you know, like we were saying before, that building trust is really important, building rapport is really important and kind of trusting the process a little bit more. We know that when working with OCD, we often normalise intrusive thoughts with our clients and often might share some of our own. Mm. And we've been asking our guests if they'd be willing to share some of their own intrusive thoughts that they might experience just to continue to normalise that. I would. I don't know how I feel about sharing this with my boss. (laughs) 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 The one that I get a lot when I'm locking up the clinic, when I'm the last one here at the clinic and I'm locking up, I always get this intrusive thought, what if I didn't lock it right? What if I left it open? (laughs) What if, what if they rock up tomorrow and everything's (laughs) stolen and there's all of this like confidential information and all this like beautiful furniture and all this like special stuff and what if it's all my fault and then I get fired? Well, it would be and you would be fired. That's just what would happen. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. You'd be publicly humiliated and shamed and then cancelled. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) I try to resist the urge to go back and check and just keep on walking. Good for you. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you for your time today. It's a bold, courageous thing to come on here as an early career psychologist and talk about your vulnerabilities and what was challenging. But I think you've got some really important words of, of wisdom. And I think your journey, I think, will really shine light on what this pathway can look like. And I hope, I really hope and believe that it will really help some clinicians who are starting to navigate this journey or who are wanting to do it, to do it with more confidence and self-belief. Yeah. Thank you for your insights today. I hope that as well. And thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. All right. So we will share some of those wonderful resources that Hannah talked about. Podcasts, we'll put links to some books that she mentioned in the episode notes. Thank you for joining us, everybody. See you next time. You've been listening to Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. This podcast is brought to you by Melbourne Wellbeing Group, a psychology practice based in Melbourne with a special focus on treating OCD. To find out more, head to our website, melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. All one word, that's melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative, To make sure you don't miss an episode of Breaking the Rules, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Celine Galgetch. And I'm Tori Miller. And we'll be back next episode with more reasons to convince you to get messy. Have fun and break break the the rules. rules.